Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Everybody get up, it's time to slam now. We got the real jam going down. Welcome to the Space Jam. Space Here's jam. your chance, do your dance at the Space Jam. All right. All right. New theme Thursday edition of Ball Don't Lie right here on 104.9 The Horn. And the new theme of the day is basketball. Patrick's really excited about All-Star Weekend coming up. That's when everybody starts focusing on the NBA. Uh, March Madness actually right around the corner. So Patrick wanted to help us transition our mindset from football, which was basically talking Super Bowl this past week because that was the official end of football season, to now talking about a lot more basketball. NBA or college basketball, doesn't matter. Yeah, I was watching some old slam dunk contests too Ooh. over the past week, and so you're just like getting a little bit. You're like, all right, maybe. I mean, there's some good, there's some good stuff. You want to watch the old slam dunk contest to get you hyped up about the the, the well, current no, just, slam dunk no, it was contest? Just, I, there was no other games on. Oh, okay. And I was hanging out with a buddy of mine, awesome. and so I put it on. I was just like, oh, I'll just kind of put it on, and then you ah. you'd be having a conversation. You'd be like, well, no, and then you know, like, what are the Rams going to do? Are they going to make a ooh? <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I can imagine watching old slam dunk old, old watching uh, watching old slam dunk contests is kind of like watching old SNL episodes comparing them to current SNL episodes. Yeah, because they had they had these great casts back in the day and these re- and some of these the skits are still really creative uh, these days. So I'm not knocking that good, but they, they just don't have the star power. That they once had on SNL um, back in the day. No, like that's and that's you, what the dunk contest is lacking you watch now that too. Two thousand slam dunk contest. That's the Vince Carter like coming out. Vince Carter killing it. Tracy McGrady's in it. Steve Francis. Like, oh, it's, it's amazing. Just, it's so good. <laughs> it is. Exactly. It was, but it was a rite of passage then. Yeah. Everybody felt like, hey, hey I gotta be. I want to be the next great, the next goat. I gotta, I gotta win this slam dunk contest, and then that was just, that's just one of my many accomplishments that I'll have on my resume or notches on my belt on my way to being like, like MJ or like Kobe. And I, I don't care what anybody says. My, hot, I don't know if it's a hot take. It's my take. I blame LeBron. It's not totally LeBron's fault, but LeBron does have some ownership in the dunk contest losing its star power. Because yeah. I think if he would have done it, it still would have had cachet for the young guys as a rite of passage. Yeah, and, and I he think, never did it, and I think that was part of its losing its luster to the celebrity crowd. I think, too, like some of the guys that you'd want to see in it are the most injury-prone guys. And they're like, <laughs> like, yeah, you'd love to see Zion Williamson and John Moran in it. Neither one of those guys oh, you want to ja. see in it. Because you're like, Ja, you're going to die if you do that. Ja. Oh, <laughs> he will. He's going he's gonna to kill the rim in the process. But, yeah, he's so violent. Yeah. His, it's oh. like you just don't – like, so you don't want him to get hurt. But he's that's like, a good point. And, then, and that's a good, a good thing, too. You've got, it's a good point. The load management mindset yeah. has also affected it, too. Yeah, because the teams are like, no, we don't want to put you out there and, like, yeah. lose you for three weeks because – and, I mean, honestly, a lot of these guys will just hurt their hands – because you're trying to violently slam the ball on the rim and you break a finger or pop a finger, and they're like, 
well, cool, you can't shoot right now for yeah. two weeks. Hope it was worth it. Yeah. <laughs> well, are we, you know, we're trying to make a playoff push. <laughs> you got to sit on the bench with taped up fingers. That's fair. I was say, it ain't the only reason. LeBron's not the only reason. No, there's, there's a lot of different variables, uh, but he's a big part of it. But still, really excited about All-Star Weekend and the dunk contest, three-point contest. We'll get into some of those details uh, tomorrow and break down the dunk contest and the three-point contest because uh, All-Star Weekend is upon us, ladies and gentlemen. All right, I want to get next segment. Um, I'll get into... One of my favorite uh, football theories, actually one of my own football theories I came up with personally, and I've been keeping track of it year by year, and I actually kind of forgot all about it this season, and now it's hitting close to home. It relates to the Texans coaching hires and also relates to the uh, uh, one of the coaches in the Super Bowl. So we'll get to that too and I'll talk about my uh, my my the latest update on one of my favorite uh, football theories. But speaking of football uh, Tom McShay came out with his latest mock draft. We'll get into that a little bit too and we'll also get into the latest coaching staff additions for the Texans also for the Cowboys. A little uh, under the radar additions for the Cowboys but still I think they could be pretty important. So we'll get to that first I want to give some props to the Cowboys and to the Texans, by the way. I saw at CBS Sports, they did a postseason ranking of all of the rookie classes in the NFL, considering now we are officially done with the NFL season. And they had the Cowboys and the Texans ranked pretty high. They had the Cowboys ranked as the number five. This is CBS Sports, by the way, so give them props. It had the Cowboys ranked as the number five overall uh, rookie class, which is pretty damn good. Talked about their hits being Tyler Smith being a hit, Deron Bland was one of the interception leaders in the NFL as a rookie, uh, Sam Williams being a hit, and Jake Ferguson, which is a good sign because they may need Jake Ferguson to take over for Dalton Schultz, who they don't want to overpay, who they put on the franchise tag this year. Now he's going to be looking for a contract extension. Uh, but I digress. So those are the hits for the Cowboys. And it got me thinking about you know the last couple years because the Cowboys have had really good rookie classes for the last couple of years. And then I went and looked at, I couldn't find CBS Sports' ranking of their rookie class from 2021, but I found Pro Football Focus and NFL.com's ranking. Pro Football Focus had the Cowboys' 2021 rookie class ranked as the 12th best in the NFL. NFL.com had their rookie class ranked as the 7th best in the NFL. Obviously, everybody's got a different metric, different definitions of success and that kind of stuff. But um, the Cowboys, either way, Last two rookie classes for them have been really, really good. And it just reminds me of, you know, why the Cowboys have limited limited themselves, really. And the way the reason I say that is because the Cowboys are really good in the draft. They actually are. As much as we, you know, hate on the Cowboys and mock them for their organizational dysfunction, they're actually pretty good in the damn draft. The problem with the Cowboys is, as I've said before, they're the most homegrown team in the NFL. All right, last year, and I'll, I'll update this this year when we get past the uh, offseason and the signings and everything. But when I went and looked at the highest amount of, uh, at least the, the largest amount of free agent acquisitions, who also were your biggest cap hits, so biggest cap hits that were free agent acquisitions, um, if you look at the top 15 top cap hits on each team, and how many of those were free agent acquisitions? Uh, start the season, the Cowboys just had three of those. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. It just means you're a really home, you're a homegrown team. Um, but hell, the Rams were at eight. Cincinnati was at eight. Kansas City was at eight. Um, 
Washington was at eight. Giants were at six. Eagles were at six. And, and, and nothing wrong with the way the Cowboys do business, but they're just they, they're extreme about their homegrown formula in the draft. And by the way, they're good at it. So that's nothing wrong with that. They're also really good at, and I remember digging up these stats too about uh, the Cowboys and how good they are at undrafted free agent acquisitions, like a- after the draft. So there are four ways to acquire talent in the NFL. You do it in the draft. You do it undrafted free agents around the draft, free agency, right? Or you can trade. Four ways to do it. And the Cowboys, you could argue, are good, if not great, at two of those four acquisitions, uh, types of acquisitions in the NFL. Because I looked at undrafted free agent classes, and there's actually, shout out to... um, I believe it's Thor Nystrom that does it. He ranks the undrafted free agent classes for every team coming out. That is exhaustive work, so give the man some props for it. And in 2022, he had the Cowboys with the number one undrafted free agent class in the NFL. In 2021, he had him number two. In 2020, he had him number one. (laughs) So... And so my point is, and this goes back to Catboy, 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 the, the most uh, cost-effective ways to, to acquire talent of those four that I just mentioned is easily the draft and undrafted free agents. They're the penny stocks of the NFL. So it's almost kind of ties into the criticism of Cowboys fans, or at least the criticism of the Cowboys organization by Cowboys fans of, man, y'all so damn cheap. Why don't y'all just go all in? Because all in would mean making more moves via trades, because trades help you immediately. Those are impact players. It would help you out right now. Nobody is in the NBA or Major League Baseball. You just trade for a guy. Nah, we'll let him sit. We'll do this. We'll develop him. No, no, no. You trade for guys that'll be impact players. That's what the NFL is all about. And and then if you start talking about you know how free agency works. The Cowboys don't make splash moves in free agency big time. They don't spend big money in free agency. Because, first of all, it is, it's, it's the least cost-effective way. It's, it's probably um, the, the least frugal way to spend your money in the NFL. But if you're trying to go all in and win now, everybody knows, hey, man, I got to go out there and go get these guys to help me right now. And my problem with the Cowboys is, is as these numbers will show, and the kind of these deep-dive um, deep uh, rabbit hole um, you know, breakdowns of their acquisitions can show you, is that the Cowboys... The biggest problem may be that they only exhaust two of the four main options to acquire talent. That they because sh- they, they're really good. Like I just gave you the numbers, really good in the draft. They're really good at undrafted free agents. They need to take more chances and trade for guys to make to be impact players for them. They don't do enough in the trade market because we're starting to see the Rams, Philadelphia Eagles, <laughs> the Bucks. Those teams are aggressive. Make trades. Go get the guy. I need that guy. Go get him. Hell, hell, the Bucks traded for a coach. <laughs> like, go, hey, we need a guy. We need a coach. Go get him. Trade for him. Hell yeah, let's trade for him. Cowboys don't do enough of that, and they don't do enough in the free agent market. They're all they're all about being, you know, uh, you know, frugal, frugal and cons- conservative in their approach in free agency, and I get that, um, but that's based on these numbers and I'm looking at how well they've done in the draft and undrafted free agency, man, if they would just be more aggressive in the other two ways to acquire talent, which is free agency 
and NFL trades. I'm not saying go crazy. It's the NBA ethication of the NFL. But, man, that's what could potentially break them through that glass ceiling that they've built for themselves. I mean, I think there's part of it of Jerry's used to negotiating where he holds a lot more of the chips. And when you're trying to deal with free agents and dealing with trades, you don't have the chips. It's, It's an even playing field at best. And so his style of negotiations don't necessarily fly when you're trying to lowball players as free agents, when you're trying to lowball other teams on trade offers. They just hang up the phone. They go, cool. I mean, if that's what you're offering, we'll go somewhere else. And he's used to, well, if I've got the, if I've got the oil or if I've got the building and you need the building, I can, I can play hardball with you. You can't do that when you're trying to entice people to come to your team or entice te- teams to give you a deal that you think you're going to be able to win. And That's a good point. I, I just think he negotiates, so he just gave up on it at a certain point. He doesn't do it as much because he's like, every time I try and call somebody, they, I, I try and negotiate the way I've negotiated my whole life, and they hang up. <laughs> and then, and then the day the next day, I see they made a deal with the Vikings. Yeah, no, it's a good point. I, I, I never thought about it that way, but that is a good point about it. That's why he prefers the draft and undrafted free agents because he has the upper hand in yeah, all negotiations. He holds all the chips. It's all set. Yeah, I own your rights. Yep. So I can now we can negotiate whatever we want, but I I own the rights. So you look either you don't play football or you play for the Dallas Cowboys. Which is why he also likes to negotiate with his own the guys. That's why he loves you know promoting from within. He likes the you know the, the, I I like we like our guys. Yeah. Because I, I I don't know if that's subconsciously or not, but that's a great point. I never thought about that in terms of the the wildcatter Jerry Jones um, and his and I remember reluctance to want to. Uh, to negotiate and haggle enough in free agency and with teams because you're either you're negotiating with a team for a trade or negotiating with an agent for free. And both of those are <laughs> both you were trying to win the deal, right? Yeah. You're you're basically no trade or no free agency signing. Are you really hoping, hey man, this is mutually uh, good for both of us? If you're making a trade, you're like, man, you know what I'd really like? I'd like to get really good players, and whatever I send you turns out to be crap, and I walk away looking like a genius. That's what I prefer. Yeah. Now, if it is even equal, if it's equal, I'm fine with that too. But if you win the trade, then I look bad. So I we can't have the other guy win the trade, which makes trading very difficult in the NFL. But you normally have buyers and sellers, and Jerry doesn't ever want to be a full on buyer because he feels he should be able to it's not a, pay the price. I, I love I love the uh, observation. I think it's an astute observation. I love it, and I and also I, I'll I'll add this to it with Jerry Jones. You know, this is what you need to learn from the Eagles. It's not necessarily that you go all in because that is risky. And some, you know, there are only a few owners that have really done that for the most part. Yeah. Now, you know, and, and honestly, the, the, the chances are you're going to fail more often times than not if you go all in. Yeah. And, and but, most most times people <laughs> that are trying to go all in are brand new owners trying to make a splash. Yeah. And they, they want to bring the fans back and they and want that's some what attention. We've seen, we've seen with Denver, they did that. With Stan Kroenke moved the team. He's not a new owner, but he moved the team to L.A. Yeah. He wanted to make a splash when he moved the team to L.A. Yeah. We just saw it with Phoenix in basketball. Guy buys the team, immediately wants to make a splash. I Like, I get that's the normal thing. The Eagles were not. They were not all in. Well, no, because they, they, were just they aggressive. It's not a new owner. They, they were aggressive. They weren't all in. It was because you pointed had, out they got. Picked. They still have more picks than the Cowboys. <laughs> yeah. So aggressive is different than all in. Uh, and I think, yeah, we should make sure that we, you know, uh, differentiate the two. But yeah, the Rams were more of an all in thing. I think the Bucks actually probably more all in than the the Eagles have been. And even way back in the day, remember when 
the Broncos got Peyton Manning, they had a kind of an all-in. Yeah. They went kind of all-in at that time. They were kind of one of the first teams to go, no, 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 we got a chance here. Yeah, let's, let's go. go we got Peyton Manning. Let's go get him, and let's go all-in trying to win a title. Just built around the window that he had left. But for Jerry Jones, I do I, – like I said, I don't know – because I, I love the observation you brought up, and I hadn't even thought about that. And I hope it's just not him being cheap, as he said he likes being in the middle, and he doesn't want to risk you know, going all-in at any time. And that's my big – that's a criticism, too, that he – I can't remember the Cowboys. I can't remember the last time they went all in. That's because I understand not doing it a lot. Yeah, the, the Eagles do it almost too much. The Eagles they'll go all in, reset, go all in again. And and Harry Roseman has said publicly, I'd rather be at the back of the pack. I'd rather be. Uh, I'd rather basically be a, a a team that has a losing record that's going to end up drafting really high than be in the middle. He said, we roll the dice, we take chances, and we plan on success. But I, he said, I'd rather be, you know, all in and be going to the Super Bowl or, you know, hey, man, we're at the bottom of the division. We went all in and we failed. He said, I do not want to be in the middle. Jerry Jones, the opposite. Jerry Jones said, no, no, we actually prefer the middle because we believe that stability, all right, that consistency will lead us to one day getting over the top finally. Yeah, but but that's also kind of BS in the fact that he hasn't like, he hasn't done it yet. Well, he hasn't <laughs> ever tried to get a franchise quarterback in the draft. Jimmy Johnson was the last guy who went to go get a franchise quarterback in the draft. That is with Traigman. That's the last guy, right? Because they've been what are, their, what are their first or second yeah. round pick have yeah. they have they taken to be like that's our friend? We're going to try and build this guy. They got lucky with Dak. They got lucky with Tony Romo. Yeah, they've got. So I mean, lucky. they signed yeah. Drew Bledsoe. We can yeah. say they went out and signed it, but that's not going into the draft and going. Hey, let's be aggressive yeah. and get our own guy and do what we want to do. But let's try and go draft a quarterback in the first round. And yeah. see if we can get our guy. Like so, if you don't even do that, you don't want to be in the middle. You just don't want to. You just like, well, no, we just kind of want to. Well, don't say, spend it a seems lot of like money. It seems exactly. That's why I hope it's not that. I hope it's more. It's, I hope it's a deeper issue. You know that if we're psychoanalyzing Jerry Jones, that it doesn't come down to him being a cheap billionaire. Because I hope it's not that simple. And I don't think it's that simple. No, and I don't think. But it's, if he is, it, it could because because it looks that way. If you're looking at how they acquire talent, just going back to the initial rant of how they acquire talent, the four ways to acquire talent, free agency is easily the most expensive way to acquire talent. Um, I, I always say, it's, if you want to give the analogy about uh, acquiring talent in the NFL, it's like grocery shopping. Free agency is like grocery shopping at, at at Whole Foods or Central Market. You're gonna pay top dollar for every damn thing on the shelf. All right, the um, trade uh, dr- the draft is probably like shopping at H E B. Best bang for your buck. Best bang for your buck. Your dollar will stretch the furthest at H E B. Got coupons there when you you picking up your bread or whatever you're getting. Man, H E B is trying to help out you help out the ball on the budget. They 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 they're always trying to do that. I appreciate that H E B. Um, it, it, a trade is like, I mean, it's always like going to the, the Sprouts app, right? You're going to like a farmer's market or something like that. Um, and undrafted free agents, that's, I mean, that's the easiest and cheapest way to acquire time. There are penny stocks. Imagine going to the grocery store and the checkout cashier forgetting to scan a bunch of your items and just putting them in the bag and letting you walk out. That's undrafted free agents. That's how much of a bargain basement value it is. And to your point, Patrick, I hope it ain't just Jerry Jones avoiding going to Whole Foods and shopping and avoiding, you know, the trade market, which are the most expensive ways to acquire talent and just trying to stick with the cheapest ways to acquire talent. And I, I don't think it's fully that. I mean, I, that's somewhat self, like, you know, subconscious. I think it's more of just he looks at things as good deals or bad deals. And 
you not realizing to win an NFL championship, you have to make some bad deals. Yeah. Like you just have to do that that. because, hey, man, look, that guy's value is too much. We all agree that's too much for that guy. Yeah. But that's what the value is, and you need him. And that's a guy who's going to put you over the top. Or, hey, man, I know you don't want to make this trade because they're holding your your feet over the coals and you're having to give up another first-round pick, and, boy, that hurts. But you know what? If that gets you a Super Bowl – it was all it's worth totally it. totally worth that other first-round pick. All of it was worth so it. So I get it's yeah. a risk, but you have to make some bad deals in there. And I think he just looks at things and goes, all right, we're looking at the free agent market. We want Odell Beckham Jr. He wants a three-year deal. That's a bad deal. I'm not signing him. But if, I can, if I can convince him down to go to a one-year deal, then I'll sign him because that's a good deal. And then they don't sign him, and yeah. they don't have a wide receiver in the playoffs because every deal they did was a bad deal. And yeah. you go, well, you really need a wide receiver when you got to the playoffs, Yeah, because the Rams, you? that was a bad deal essentially for the Odell deal, but it was good because in the playoffs he showed up in like yeah. those two, those three games. That's what you need him for. Exactly. <laughs> Them three games. And so it's, I think it's just he has this thought process of I don't want to make a bad deal because bad deals, if I make too many of them, they get down. You're like, yeah, if you do make too many of them. Yeah, but you got to know which one. You got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. That's when you're supposed to be a great (laughs) businessman and know which bad deals and which good deals and put them together. And it just seems the Cowboys, they just always try and take the easy road, which is, hey, man, let's go get these undrafted free agents. Hey, man, we found another great undrafted free agent. And what I like that, a, by the way. What a great deal we got out of that. And you're like, they, cool, but you're, that's not a championship deals. team. All I'm saying is, Cowboys, keep doing what you're doing in the draft yes. and keep doing what you're doing on draft the free agency. Just get more aggressive in the trade market and get more aggressive in the free agent market. Exactly. And I just think that alone will help the Cowboys have a better chance of getting past the division around. Even with Mike McCarthy there and Dak Prescott being the quarterback and everything being as it is. Um, okay, so I... Went on a rant there, but I meant to give the Texans uh, rookie class rankings, too. Uh, Good discussion there, Patrick. Uh, Texans were number seven in the CBS Sports rookie rankings. They they say the hits are Damian Pierce, Jalen Petrie. Uh, Derek Stingley Jr. and Christian Harris. Listen, Patrick, you and you are you're an ex Texans fan. I was gonna say a Texans fan, ex Texans fan. Maybe coming back to the pack. We'll talk about that later uh, around the draft time. But it, Nick Casario, you go look at it. The last two, well, it's only two drafts. He's only been there uh, two two for two drafts. They've been pretty good. They've been pretty good. They've been pretty and, good, I man. Mean, and now we can look at things to be critical and say you took the wrong cornerback. Oh, now, well, but, yeah. <laughs> so there's little things like that. But you yeah. didn't take a bad cornerback. You yeah. just didn't take the right one. Yeah. You, yeah. He took the wrong guy. It's okay. Yeah. Because it's, okay, it's yeah. not a bad one. It's not like Derek, you took yeah. a bust. As long as he doesn't bust out. Yeah. yeah he's, he still played well this season. He just didn't play Defensive Player of the Year well. He didn't He didn't make all pro as a rookie, which hadn't been done since Runny Lot. Yeah. And that's the thing is <laughs> you didn't take the guy that you're like, oh, this may be a generational oh, talent now. Think about a game changer. With him and Petrie? Wow. You would have you got the best rookie safety and the best rookie corner in the league. Yes. Wow. So you, that's what I'm saying. So there is things that they, he's done drafting where it's like he's missed on a couple things. Yeah. On the flip side of that, he has done well of getting a lot of pieces in. I like that he's getting the pieces, but again, this goes to Cowboys. Man, if four quarters don't make a dollar, you have to get star players and everything. And... It's like you, you can't just keep going, hey, man, all these guys, man, we have a full roster full of guys that are good role players. You're like, well, who's going to sack the quarterback? Well, every single one's going to get one sack this year. Like, well, you know, you need one guy with 12, and then everybody else can get one or two. But you need one guy to get a lot. This is that draft I think they got to start building. Foundational oh, yeah. players. No, and you have to start signing people. You have yeah. to start 
actually trying to put something together. Totally agree. Because, in all honesty, you're going to lose that O-line that you've used the last five, six drafts. You're going to lose one of those tackles. Well, but I mean, you're going to lose both one of those tackles, a guard. You know, like you're, yeah. you're going to have to start rebuilding your O-line by the time you put everything else together if you don't start to go more aggressively now and say, hey, let's try and actually get to where we can compete in this division. We know Jacksonville is going to be good for a while now, but we can still compete with them, and you never know with injuries. I but would, the Colts yeah. and Tennessee are both headed the wrong direction. We can compete in this division. I, w- I would go, honestly, I'd kind of go with the Cincinnati recipe. And strangely enough, because they got two bookend tackles right now, and they just drafted, was it Kenyon Green, the guard yeah. from AM? I think I might load up with some receiving talent for my young quarterback. Yeah, I mean, we got to see on. what uh, happens with Meiji because, yeah. you know, you do technically have a top pick, but you got him and Nico. But Collins, we don't know if he'll yeah. ever be the same guy yeah. again. I don't know if I'd go first round. I'm not saying yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm talking about middle round yeah, picks. Yeah. Like, I, mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him draft two wide receivers they like. He's young guys. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because Brandon Cooks is not going to be on that roster next year. He, I, think. He, I think he's going to be for at least for a while just because of his salary because they gave him because they signed a really dumb contract. But they Also, dumb things Nick Casario did that he didn't have to do. Yes, that extend, he gave him that extension. Extend Brandon yeah. Cooks for no reason at yeah. all. But I think he'll probably be around at least till the trade deadline. I think they'll try to trade him. I think they'll try to, but we saw what they tried to trade him for last time, and boy, that was a hefty price. Well, yeah, because this ain't Brandon Cooks of three years or four years ago. This isn't first-round pick Brandon Cooks. (laughs) We can't trade that Brandon Cooks. Uh, All right, yeah, that was a little Texas talk there. Uh, And Texas, yeah, did look good. By the way, the Texans rookie class in 2021, uh, they were ranked number two by Pro Football Focus, and they were ranked number 10 by NFL.com. So two really good classes for Nick Casario back-to-back, and now he has got a ton of draft capital in the next two years, and he's got him a head coach. And we'll see if the Texans can uh, you know, make some magic happen with those picks. Speaking of, Ty McShay did put out his uh, latest mock draft. We'll get a little bit into that in Rod's Round today, but I got uh, my football theory. One of my favorite football theories is my Belichickian theory. I'll tell you why it relates to the Texans and also how you know the, uh, the Super Bowl uh, – uh, this, actually, the Super Bowl also put on display the Belichickian theory for everyone as well. We'll talk about that and more right here on Ball Don't Lie on Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Find out what happens when people stop being polite and start getting real. You ain't keeping it real. My God, okay, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. Oh, no, you've done it now. It's time for Rod's Rant of the Day. Hold on to your butts. All right, welcome back to Rod's rant of the day right here on Ball Don't Lie on 104.9 The Horn. Um, man, I was just looking at a random stat because uh, I was doing some rabbit holing about coaches in the NFL, which is kind of what our next topic is going to be about. Random crazy stat has nothing to do with what we're about to talk about. Just what I found doing some research. Sean McVay entering his seventh season as Rams head coach. Um. He's still the youngest head coach in the league. He was the youngest head coach when he was in the history of the NFL when they hired him, and he's still the youngest head coach in the league, even after he went on his seventh year on the job. Unbelievable. Like, talk about a prodigy. 
Anyway, um, I want to get to what I used to call my Belichickian theory. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the hire of Bobby Slowick, the new offensive coordinator for the Texans. Now he is, you know, going to be the offensive coordinator. He hasn't called plays before. He was a passing game coordinator for the Texans for uh, sorry Texans for the 49ers before moving on to the Texans he's now going to be the offensive coordinator there in his background he actually was a, a defensive assistant and even more so than that his dad Bob Slovic um, actually was a defensive coach uh, Patrick mentioned that a couple of days ago he's coached linebackers um, coached def- uh, uh, DBs in the league before and it's something that I am really high on. Now, he's, of course, an offensive coach, the pass game coordinator. But I've been hounding this for a while and for about, I don't know, probably 10, 12 years now. I've been talking about my Belichickian theory. And Bobby Slowick fits it. He was a, a defensive assistant and a defensive quality control coach with the Washington NFL team and with the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, as recently with the 49ers, 27, 2018, he was on the defensive side of the ball. And with Washington from 2011 to 2013. And in between that, I like this even more, he took a break where he basically became a pro football focus nerd for a couple of years, <laughs> which I like. I know some people are against the analytics, but at least he is someone who's been fully immersed in the analytical world. He'll know all about it. But I love the fact that he's been in all these great think tanks, of course, up there in Washington where – I mean, they had, uh, man, it was LaFleur was up there. Sean McVay was up there. Kyle Shanahan was up there. Mike McDaniel had all those guys up there on that Washington staff at one time. It's a hell of a think tank to be a part of. So even if you're just sitting in the corner, just just being quiet, not saying a damn word, just listening, you should be able to soak up a lot. Shanahan, Clan, and all those other uh, great coaches around. But I digress. I love the background, what I call the Belichickian theory, which is simply coaches at the college and the pro level. Who have more than who have who have experience in more than one phase of the game? Most coaches, I would say, oh man, 70 percent of coaches out there, maybe more, at the college and the pro level, they have experience in just one phase of the game. Most people forget that football is three phases: you got offense, you got defense, and you got special teams. Some coaches de-emphasize special teams, don't care about it. Some coaches overemphasize special teams because they know other teams have devalued that phase of the game so they can gain, you know, uh, hidden yardage there and they can kind of win games uh, in that department. We've seen that before. All right, but the special teams is also a phase, so I consider that a part of my equation or at least a part of the criteria for the Belichickian theory. So it's pretty simple. And in the NFL right now, there are only 10 head coaches that fit the Belichickian theory. And I like coaches like Bobby Sloak because if you have that, you know, you have that experience in other phases of the game, especially offense and defense when you're going up against offense or you're going up against the defense and you've been on that side of the ball and you understand the rules that bind and the rules that actually are able to or at least the rules the offense operates by and the rules that bind a defense that bind the structural integrity of a defense and all, and, and there are rules to both offense and defense that rules the, the offense operates by but rules that bind the structural integrity of a defense and if you've been on that side of the ball you actually know the rules 
they, they teach them to you. Most of these coaches who've never been on another side of the ball, never been in a meeting room in another phase of the game, they don't know that kind of stuff. The, the coaches who have been exposed to it, they are highly knowledgeable of the rules that bind and operate the offense or the defense. And then they're in a better position to violate those rules <laughs> All right. and to put in certain cheat codes uh, that are allowing them to have uh, loopholes um, that will give them advantages within the construct of that offense or that defense. And that's why I, I love the hire of Bobby Slowick. I think it's actually going to be really good. We'll see. That's just you know me throwing blank at the wall to see if it sticks. That's my Belichickian theory. But here are the coaches in the NFL that fit my Belichickian theory. They're 10 out of the 32 since now we have completed this uh, coaching carousel and the hiring cycle is complete. There are 10 of them. Arthur Smith, uh, he was a defensive quality control uh, coach with Ole Miss and Tennessee before he decided to focus just on offense. John Harbaugh, who is John Harbaugh, probably next to Bill Belichick himself, probably has the most extensive, expansive experience in all phases of the game. Honestly, I, I would say it's probably more extensive than um, than Belichick in terms of his the 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 Belichickian <laughs> uh, theory um, applying to him. He probably is the best example of it. Running backs coach and outside linebackers coach at Western Michigan, tight ends coach at Pittsburgh, special teams coach at Moorhead State, long with secondary coach, special teams coordinator at Cincinnati, special teams coordinator and DB coach at Indiana, special, te- uh, special teams coordinator with the Philadelphia Eagles and a DB coach there, and then becoming a head coach. So in been on all three phases of the game, been a coach in all three phases. That is rare. Bill Belichick is the only other one that's done that on this list, by the way. Uh, Shane Steichen fits that uh, criteria because he was a defensive assistant with the Chargers uh, before he decided to focus on offense. Brandon Staley fits that. He was a special teams coach with St. Thomas before he focused just on uh, defense. Uh, Bill Belichick, of course, he was a wide receiver coach at one time uh, with the Detroit Lions, uh, special teams with Detroit, Denver, and the Giants. Uh, Brian Dable. Uh, off that Belichickian tree, defensive assistant before he focused on offense. Robert Sella was an offensive assistant at Michigan State, coached tight ends before he focused on defense. Nick Sirianni fits the Belichickian theory. That's right, Mount Union DB's coach there before he decided to focus his attention on offense. Mike Tomlin famously in this category, wide receivers coach at Arkansas State uh, and also at VMI, uh, Pete Carroll. Uh, when he was at Pacific as a grad assistant, was coaching wide receivers for a while. So he is also in that category. So those are the 10. Do you notice a, You notice any pattern with those 10? Those are also part of those 10, four of them, the, long, the longest tenured head coaches in the league. John Harbaugh, Mike Tomlin, Pete Carroll, and, of course, Bill Belichick. Those are the four longest tenured head coaches in the NFL, and they are four of the 10 that fit my Belichickian theory. There are only eight Super Bowl winning coaches currently in the league, and four of them are part of the third of coaches, or less than a third of coaches, who fit my Belichickian theory. It doesn't all. It doesn't guarantee success. Doesn't work every time. But I'm telling you, if I was a if I was a GM or if I was you know an athletic director, it would definitely be one of the data points that I would be looking for on a resume. 
It it's it, it, it's it's got to be something to it, Patrick. Like I said, it is it's it's too much of a commonality between great coaches. Brian Dable, coach of the year, Belichickian theory. It's only ten of these guys in the league. Uh, Nick Sirianni, one of the two coaches coaching in the Super Bowl, Belichickian theory. Bill Belichick himself, the GOAT. Then you got Pete Carroll, Mike Tomlin, John Harbaugh, all the longest tenured head coaches in the NFL, Belichickian theory, guys. I think it just gives you a more expansive knowledge base to start with about how to construct a team from the bottom up and how to review it and almost kind of rebuild it, if you will, look at the longest tenured guys from the top down. So you like positionless players and positionless coaches. <laughs> oh, that's uh, – I know, it can blow up in your face. Look at Belichick. Remember, he just yeah. tried to do it with Joe Judge and yeah, and well, and Matt he was Patricia. trying to call plays too. And so yeah, yeah so it, it, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely, no, but, so it, but can blow it up does in your face. help you when you're interviewing people to be your OC and you're putting together game plans where you yes. trust them. You are able to have a better ex- understanding of it, and that's uh, that's one of the things I like about the D'Amico Ryan's hire was that the stories about Matt Schaub and yeah. some of his quarterbacks being like, oh no, he was asking us about everything we were doing too. That he didn't just care about, all right, I'm going to play. Why are you doing that on offense? Good point. Because yep. that lets me then know how to fix it and beat it on defense. But I need to know why, why you're doing that on offense. And I, I, I know Shanahan very well. He's one of my best friends in the world. And I can guarantee you him and Kyle Shanahan have those discussions. Yeah. About the rules that bind the structure of a, the structural integrity of a defense, and the rules that the offense operates by, and how to violate those rules. They, that's, that's all Shanahan's offense is built on. Violating yeah. your, he's an habitual line stepper. That's <laughs> <laughs> all the guy does, uh, on and off the field. By the way, uh, but uh, no, yeah, I, I, I think you make a good point about that overall. Y- your point is, and I, I think it's a, a really good one. It maybe gives him a better. It maybe gives you a better knowledge base to help coach your coaches and identify coaching talent. Yeah. Maybe that's what it is. It's well, something in there. You know what I mean? But that's a good point about you know if your coaches are full of it too because I was like, oh, man, I've been on that side of the ball. I know what. But, like, if I went and talked to you about setting up remote equipment, right, I could lie to your face about it. You could. I would have no and idea. you would have no idea. <laughs> yeah. but, but, if if I you, but if you could set up so, course on it, yeah. And then you can sit there and go, man, what are you talking about flux capacitors? Yeah, yeah. There ain't no flux out of the thing. <laughs> You'd be like, I took a crash course on that a couple of years ago. So it's, I think yeah. it's that. It's, you know, in any job in reality, the more you know about stuff, the easier it is for you to also find people that can be a great asset to you. Totally because agree. they actually know what they're talking about. Yep. Versus... And if you're a defensive head coach and you're hiring an OC and the OC is explaining this concept, that's you like, man, it must be over my head. And you're like, no, it's not over your head. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Like, no, it won't work. Yeah. No, you're right. And I, I think, you know, Belichick, he, some of his coaches have been famous for, like I said, uh, Brian Dabble did it as an assistant on that staff, too. Um, so, yeah, it's I don't know exactly what the secret sauce is to it, but I know there's there's something there. There's, I, I've identified a trend um, and I'm still trying to identify the specificity uh, within that secret sauce. But there's something to the Belichickian theory, no question. It's almost like I was told once, if you, if, you, if you need to hire a criminal lawyer, look for one that's worked for the district attorney's office. Yeah. It was like, if you want to hire a defense lawyer, look for one that's worked for the other side. So he's got connect, or he or she has got connections over there, and they know how it works. They know exactly how it works over there. That's what you need. And to me, that's always what the Belichickian theory is. You want that that defense lawyer that's also worked for the DA's office. Yeah, but then you don't want to be like <laughs> Belichick and hire guys that got fired from the DA's office <laughs> for incompetence <laughs> to represent you in your murder trial. Yeah, you don't want to. 
They walk in, they're like, man, I thought I kicked you out of here. No, I work for the other side now. No, it's no. like that scene from uh, My Cousin Vinny where the guy, <laughs> the lawyer who came, was like stuttering and everything, can't figure it out. Oh, that's good stuff. All right, uh, we got off the record on the other side. We'll come right back. This is Ball Don't Lie, wonderful on the horn. Welcome back to Ball Don't Lie right here on 104.9 The Horn. Wow. Patrick, you've outdone yourself. Man, uh, right, NBA can you name the name of the song or the artist? I know NBA or NBC It thing. is NBA or NBC. I know the artist because, oh, man, uh, I should know this because there's a great story about this, that he left it on a phone, like an answering machine or something because he did it like yeah. impromptu at like a restaurant. Oh, I know this. It's on the tip of my tongue. Give it to me. It is John Tesh. John Tesh! And the song is called Round Ball Rock. Son of a... I'm so upset with myself. <laughs> I, I, I knew that because I literally heard somebody t- tell that story, I don't know, a couple of months ago, actually. It is a great story. And I, I'm assuming it's true that he... That's what I've heard. He came up with the like the melody and he was like, he didn't want to forget it. So he yeah. left it on like an answer machine or something. That's I've heard that great story as well. Story. There's also an uh, amazing SNL skit about this this song. <laughs> that if you've never seen it... I think I've seen that too. Where, the, where he has his brother with him. I think I've seen this. He has his brother, and then they uh, they had there's lyrics. <laughs> I want to say I've seen this. Okay, now I'll look it up in the break on YouTube. I want to say I've seen it. There's lyrics though. to the song, and it's so funny. <laughs> uh, well done. A uh, new theme Thursday for those who aren't keeping up. Uh, Patrick doing a great job. Uh, he always gives us uh, certain songs selections, and based on those songs and selections on new theme Thursday, we're supposed to gather clues and hints that lead us to the new theme of the day. My man Harge got it because uh, it was about basketball. He's really excited about All Star Weekend coming up. It's time for us all to start transitioning. He's talking. Uh, more hoops and that's exactly what we're doing so that's what the theme of the day is and i wish i had Harge here because Harge is on his ways he's, he's uh getting ready to go uh for his uh, weekend um responsibilities because uh he's actually gonna be calling some baseball games we'll give you some more details about that but he's gonna be joining us via phone tomorrow call us and help us break down some texas baseball so we'll get our uh we'll get a little taste of Harge coming up a little bit later on in the show but he always talks about baseball players having yeah, uh, superstitions. Right? He had, he had a ton of them. He talks about that all the time. How superstitious he was. How superstitious baseball players are. Well, Patrick Mahomes is a baseball player, so he's very superstitious. So he's got that baseball superstition thing working. I told him football players, there's some of that, but not as much as baseball players. They are extremely superstitious. So Chad Heaney, who just retired and was the backup quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs, he revealed a, a superstition about or at least that Patrick Mahomes believes in, that we were unaware of. So according to Chad Henney, and I'm assuming it's true because they he knows Patrick Mahomes really well. Sure, lockers are really close. Share the locker room with the man. Share the position room with him. According to Henney, Patrick Mahomes wears the same pair of red underwear every Sunday. Yeah, that makes sense. Same pair of drawers. I mean, now, I he feel washes like, them, of course, they're clean. Yeah, I feel, it, like, I feel like I don't know how many seasons that could last. I feel like you may have to re-up every season. No, no. Apparently, no, that's exactly. That's the same thing. He says they're, they're the same one. He said, I'm not sure if they're Hanes or Lululemon. Henny joked. 
He said his preparation is unbelievable. Um, he said he knows how, how to go about it. He knows exactly how many plays are in each section on Andy Reid's call sheet. And if it's off by one play, he's going he's gonna to mention it in that week. He dives into it deeply, and it's fun to watch him each and every day. Um, but he did admit that Patrick Mahomes, he said, yeah, quote, the same pair of underwear, which probably not a lot of people know, on game day, he's been wearing it since I've been a part of it. There's things that I've seen that nobody else has seen, and he said. So how long has he been with them? 2018. So, so he's been with them since he started being a starter. So since Mahomes has been, been a starter, he's wearing the same draws. Now, they got to be really good because all men know. Men know. Men, most, I don't know. I don't know about all men. I, I don't, I men treat underwear like a Bible. Like, they just don't throw them away. Men don't throw away draws for some no, reason. They no, end up deteriorating. Into yeah, your, there, there, your there's draw. a point where you're like, you are no longer underwear. <laughs> yeah, it's a rag or something. Yeah, yeah. You, have, you are not holding anything in anymore. <laughs> You are yeah. somehow doing more of a disservice <laughs> than a service. Yes, it, it, right. It, it definitely doesn't serve the purpose it was meant to anymore. But men keep underwear way too long. I don't know what women's like shelf life of underwear is, but men, they keep underwear a long time. I, I, I don't throw away Bibles, and I don't think I've thrown away underwear in my life either. It's weird. But I'm with women. I think the women I'm with, they just throw them away. Like, oh, this, this, this is disgusting. I'm throwing these underwear away. And I haven't bought underwear in a while either because I'm with a good woman who buys my underwear, so I'll admit that too. I'm yeah. one of them men. I'm a kept man now. I don't buy my underwear, and I don't throw my underwear away. My point being, these are some really quality draws he's wearing here. All right, These are quality underwear, quality uh, tights or athletic, whatever they are, tights, whatever they are. They're really good because if he's wearing the same ones and they don't have holes in them by now, after four years, 18, 19, yeah, four years, that's crazy. Yeah, that, that's crazy. I mean, I think he's getting replaced drawers, and he doesn't even know it. <laughs> oh, you mean like my wife replaces my drawers? Yeah. Somebody's replacing his underwear yeah. there. The, the equipment man or woman. They think someone them. is replacing his drawers. But with their lucky drawers, you can't do that. I mean, apparently, I mean, I, it, he just won a second Super Bowl. So if they lucky drawers, he's taking them home with him and he's, he's washing them himself. <laughs> no, you wash your own drawers. I know, I got that. Yeah. If they're lucky drawers, you wash them yourself. You can't risk those lucky drawers falling into the wrong hands or something bad happening to them. No, and you don't want them to get, you know, floating around with other drawers that are not as lucky. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You get mixed up with somebody else's yeah. unlucky drawers. Yeah, you, so get, the guy's got cut and you got your drawers in with him. Be like, look at him. His girlfriend just left him. He got cut, and you buy drawers rubbing up against his machine. <laughs> yeah, our, our, our drawers shouldn't be touching. That's all right. They shouldn't yeah. be touching. Hold up. So, you think he still wore the same drawers after that disastrous performance in the Super Bowl? I'd probably throw the drawers away then. Remember the, the Super yeah. Bowl to the Tampa Bay Bucks? Yeah. He got embarrassed in that Super Bowl. It's like one of his worst games as a quarterback ever. Going back to high school, you still think he kept the draws? I mean, I wouldn't have. I would have thrown those draws away. Yeah. That's been like, it's time. I would have restarted every season at least. Just solely on the fact that I do not think the life of a, no matter how pristine you take care of it, there's a, there's a shelf life on these things. There's an endorsement. I mean, th- this is a great endorsement opportunity here. It is. If he's been wearing these draws for four or five years and they are still in great shape, that is the endorsement right there. Like, bro, these draws here that I'm wearing, all right, well, no matter who makes them, whatever, Lululemon or Hanes, he doesn't know. He's like, man, I've been wearing these things for five years. I've been sacked in these draws. I ran for touchdowns in these draws. I've thrown touchdowns in these draws. I've thrown for, I don't know, 15,000 yards in these draws, and they're still in pristine condition. Perfect. Yeah, that is, that's not reality. <laughs> I agree. I don't know what's, what these drawers are made of, man. They must be made of some like some some super material or something, made from uh maybe made from the stuff that 
they have in, in Wakanda. Because <laughs> I, I don't know what they, Patrick, go get your Wakanda drawers. I don't know what they got. These draws are like, they're, they're all time great. So we'll find out more about Patrick Mahomes' lucky draws or lucky uh, underwear, athletic uh, underwear, whatever it may be. We'll get into that a little bit later on. All right, let's come back. We got uh, Texas Longhorn football to discuss. We'll go behind the burn orange curtain a little bit. We'll talk about JT Sanders. Apparently, he is stepping up into a leadership role. We'll talk about what that means on and off the field for Texas football. All of that and more right here on Model Line. I want to put on the horn. <laughs> 